You're listening to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers and conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I am Kristen LaBianca, and I'm here with Lane Fargo. Hello. And Wendy Hurd. Hello. Happy 2019, ladies. Happy 2019. Yes, and and we are very excited to have 2018 behind us for a lot of reasons. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But having a new year, we are one year closer to a new presidential election, uh, which is good news, obviously. But we're also one year, or we're entering the year of constant comments about the likability of women in politics. Wonderful. I'm so excited. It's been another entire election cycle debating how likable the female politicians are. Awesome. Yes. And Elizabeth Warren announced that she's running when? Like on January 1st. And then all of a sudden, there's all of these pieces about how she must act in a certain way to avoid the pitfalls that Hillary Clinton encountered based on her unlikability. And it's just like, Heavy okay. Sigh. Yeah, know. it's like they did not wait a whole second. No. <laughs> just, she announced and then all of these thing pieces pop up. Like if any of you follow us on Twitter, yes. you've probably seen the constant tweets. But there's just so much. It's like, how are we having this conversation? These idiot men in politics can say whatever they want and they don't have to be qualified as we've seen and then these very qualified experienced women were just like is she a nice lady who i would want to have lunch with like fuck off i i was talking about this with my partner the other day and she said literally no one likes ted cruz in this and yet like there's this isn't a thing that comes up regarding ted cruz like it's just like yeah nobody likes him it's fine he can be president like no one including like his own children right like no (laughs) No one likes him. (laughs) He's someone that you look at him and no matter what your political affiliations, you feel a deep need to to punch him in the face. Yes. Yes. You need to. It's his face. Yes, it's his face and his voice and the words that come out of his weird mouth. Like everything is just no. But creepy. But no one is really worried about that. Um, Shocking. So that's definitely something that I've I fear we're going to become increasingly more stabby about um because it's like I can't I can't do this for another year and I, a half I know it's so I can't it's so terrible I can't talk about whether women should behave or not even behave a certain way should just have a certain feeling about them a feeling that makes you feel things I don't right. care I don't want to hear I can't I think it's not possible to be a politically powerful woman and be likable like they are incompatible right it's just I, I can't think of any female politicians who've risen to the national level who like everyone would agree it's <laughs> like a nice likable lady that's just not just doesn't go with it and it's the whole politics yes. it's right politics. Like, you're not supposed to be likable you're supposed to be good at politics yes <laughs> and like do you say do you go for a ceo and be like i don't know is she is a, is that CEO likable? Like it's right. a big job, and it's gonna take a Type A person to do it. And do you want someone who's a people pleaser, who's super nice and sort of like a more like deferential personality type in a leadership role like that? Is that what you really want? And the whole concept of like political charisma, I think, is very geared towards men, well, white men specifically. Yes, yes. Like women can't be charismatic and powerful in that way because it doesn't read the same way, which is no. also bullshit. But yeah. Anyway, we promise this won't become a completely <laughs> political podcast, but we're <laughs> definitely going to rant about this stuff. And we may do 
a political episode at some point, maybe closer to the election, which is like, I like that idea. (laughs) Can we not wait until closer to the election to talk about some of this stuff? But it seems like it's just already happening and we can't escape it. Well, you know that these pieces were like written already. People were just waiting for someone to to dare. They were waiting for Elizabeth Warren to just have the audacity. And then they were like, send. They were just really excited to send those pieces. It's like when they write obituaries ahead of time and they have them on file. Exactly. Ugh. (laughs) So gross. Anyway, we're yeah, going to so be we'll, mad. Yeah. <laughs> Our actual topic of discussion today is one we've been teasing since we started this podcast, which is we are going to talk about Gone Girl. Yes. Woo! And I think we have some differing opinions about Gone Girl and about Amy Dunn, so this should be a fun little debate. But first, we were just going to talk a little bit about the book and what it has meant to us and our genre and, and everything. So Kristen, Wendy, which one of you wants to kick this off? Go ahead, Kristen. Okay, well, so Gone Girl is really the book that started a major trend of these sort of psychological type thrillers with unlikable women. And I think we owe Gillian Flynn like a huge debt of gratitude for exploding the genre like that because this book became a massive mainstream hit, not just sort of in the corner of you know people who've always read thrillers and are going to continue to read thrillers like this book was like the book when yeah it came out, which was mm-hmm. what, like five years ago something like that i think um, maybe six or it's 2012 so it's six years six, seven years ago mm-hmm. seven wow Jeez. okay I what i know <laughs> wow okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like this podcast would not exist without right. Gillian Flynn. Um, totally. My book probably wouldn't exist without Gillian Flynn. She's been a huge influence on me, um, all of her books really, but especially Gone Girl. Uh, so yeah, it really changed the game and made, um, like there have always been unlikable women, in, mm-hmm. especially in crime fiction, but it made them cool and marketable instead yes. of this niche thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And do we want to just quickly talk about what our favorite of her books are if it is not Gone Girl. Yeah. I mean, it is Gone Girl for me. I love all of her books, um, but Gone Girl is definitely the one. It's the one I read first, and then I went back and read the other two. I would say mm-hmm. my second favorite is Sharp Objects, but it's hard. It's like, they're all so amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because my favorite is definitely uh, Dark Places. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, that's I love that the one only well. one I don't, I know I read, but it's been so long that I couldn't probably discuss it. You know what I mean? Mm, interesting. Sharp Objects, I loved. I loved Sharp Objects a lot. Just because I felt like she surprised me. You know, and when you write thrillers, it's hard to be truly surprised. You know, you're like, okay, that was an interesting choice, blah, blah, blah. But I was really surprised by that book. Well, I think that's one thing that's so amazing about her work. Uh, She, in all three of her books, has surprised me to some degree. And she she writes these stories with like a, a conceit or a construction to it that like in the hands of a writer who wasn't as talented would just feel like a gimmick and it would like annoy yeah. us, you know? But because she's so good mm-hmm. at it, it totally works and I love it just so much. It's so perfect. I think I like a really deep characterization and Sharp Objects definitely had that for me. You know, that oh, characterization yeah. of the main character was was so deep and also of the tertiary characters like the familial characters almost to the point of feeling icky because she does these very deep (laughs) characterizations of people that are not just bad but like they kind of make your skin crawl you know yes 
And um, yeah, it's a, I almost have like a hangover after I, after I read one of her books because you get so deep in that it, it's almost, it's disturbing. It's truly disturbing. And that's hard. It is. Did you guys both watch the miniseries last summer as well? Um, no, it is on my list for watching this winter. I did it's not. It's fantastic. I... Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh... I haven't read the book in a little while, so I think there are some things that are different, but mm-hmm. Gillian was in the writer's room, so you know, <laughs> she, she was fine with changing <laughs> them. Um, but yeah, it's really good. The performances are all incredible, and the atmosphere is just, you really get that like sticky summer in the South. Like Everything is terrible. Yes. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend there's a scene in dark in uh, excuse me sharp objects that still haunts me where her younger sister is watching the pigs in this pig like farm I don't know what you call it I'm sorry I'm from California it's the place where they keep the pigs <laughs> that they're gonna don't eat have I don't know pigs in California <laughs> well no I like I live in LA we don't have like pigs oh, okay pig farms in LA so like a hog farm yeah yeah and she the younger sister is like watching this pig. I think nurse her piglets, but it's described in such a way that I still get like, oh, you know, just like the heebie-jeebies from it. It's it's amazing. Yeah, the She's young a really actress, writer. Yeah, the young actress that they have um, playing that role in the miniseries is really fantastic. Like, so unsettling. Mm. Now I'm excited to watch that. I need to do it. I know. I don't have a TV. Today. I don't have cable. I don't have any of it. So I always do you have stuff. the internet. The internet makes it all possible. Yeah, I, wish I know. I have to. I have to go search for stuff, and then you know I get lazy. So, Kristen, you and Lane, you're big. You're big Amy fans, right? Like you love that character. I love Amy. I am like hashtag Team Amy forever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although I think some of the stuff, Wendy, that you uh, take issue with with Amy, I probably won't argue with. I'm just like, yeah, but I still love her. Okay. What do you love about her? I love just how type A and calculating and manipulative she is. Like, as a very type A hyper-organized person myself, I'm just like, think of what I could do if I was as evil as her. <laughs> like, think of what I could accomplish. <laughs> Yes, I just, one, yeah. <laughs> one of my notes about Amy is that like she's basically what any of us could be if we gave into our pettiest and cruelest impulses. Yes. Mm. So I think that's really interesting, uh, and she's just so fascinating to read about in that way because she's not like messily horrible. She is like precise and calculating and so cold. Yeah, like if I was going to do a murder, that's how I would do it. <laughs> okay, but I want to I wanna argue with you a little bit. Is she, though? Because, yes, she's precise. She's calculating in some ways. In other ways, she just fumbles the ball and makes really stupid mistakes. Yeah, I think um, mostly that has to do with her interaction with some of the secondary characters, right? Because I think she thinks she's better at people than she is. She's very good at strategy, but she, as a sociopath, I think we would say she's a sociopath. She does not understand people as well as she thinks she does. And that screws with her, like (laughs) kind of fucks up her plans. Well, yeah, she, I think she doesn't understand that people who aren't sociopaths operate differently than she does. Yes. So like when it comes to, her dealings with especially the people at the cabin, uh, Greta and Jeff, she just totally reads them wrong. Um, she reads 
well, she reads Nikron in some ways, and she just doesn't understand that not everyone is playing the same game that she's playing. And she also thinks everyone is stupid compared to her, which yes. in a lot of cases is true, but in some cases she's underestimating their intelligence and craftiness. Yes. Uh, but I, I relate to that too, just thinking everyone else is <laughs> stupid. <laughs> just relatable. <laughs> okay, let me ask you about something. Here, I want to ask you about one thing that I take major issue with with this character, okay? I take major issue with the idea that her original plan was to commit suicide. I just am not buying it. I'm not buying that she would ever kill herself. It doesn't seem right for a character. It doesn't seem like something she would ever do. She had like no exit strategy except to kill herself, but she was not suicidal in any way. It didn't seem to fit her character in any way. What do you think about that? I'll give you that one. That has always bugged me a little bit too. Um, and in the movie, she, I forget how it is in the book if she thinks about it for longer, but in the movie, it's like she dispatches with that idea so quickly. She's just like, ah, never mind. I'm not going to kill myself anymore. And yeah. yeah. In the book, it, it is a little abrupt like that too. But um, I do think that, like, there's at one point she's thinking about how, like, you know, she'll go on a booze cruise and get plastered and fall off the side of the boat and her body will wash up wherever. Um, and I think that she, is sort of thinking like, oh, and then, you know, eventually her body will turn up and it'll look even worse for Nick. And I think she's definitely so cold and calculating that she has, like, the dedication to this plan to go that far. I do think that, like, killing herself to punish him would totally be within her character. I don't believe it. I just don't buy it. I don't buy that... I like, I buy that she would like the idea of that, that she would think that was cool. <clears throat> but first of all, if she does wash up on shore, she's not going to have the head injury that she's supposed to have had. She's not going to, you know, so it's going to discount all the evidence. It's going to like invalidate all the evidence that she spent so much time crafting. And I just don't buy that she's, I just don't buy that she's willing to, to give up her own life on behalf of Nick. Like, I think it'd be more like, she would want to punish him by killing another girl and framing him for it. Mm. But I'm just not buying her killing herself. Do you know what I'm saying? It just Yeah, and I think you're right. She's not willing to do that. I think she does like the idea of it. And then when she comes to that point and really thinks about it um, in more concrete terms, she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. So, yeah, I felt like it was missing a certain... That, from her characterization, I felt like was missing. Like, I was missing... But I was missing what would have made me believe that she would kill herself. And then I felt like in her journal entries, she delivers these very like scathing critiques of her fellow humans, right? Often anti-feminist or feminist. She goes all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. But she delivers these very like um, spot on analyses of all the people around her. You know, she's, she's a very accurate and descriptive judge of what the social dynamics and situations are in those journals but then when you get to her actual character she just bumbles through all social interactions she reads almost everybody wrong including nick the guy she's been studying for all these years and makes just mistake after mistake as a result and so i struggle to reconcile those two things i think that part of that is the journal entries are her fiction uh and so the characters 
in that part, like, they do whatever she wants them to do because she's the one writing it. But when it comes to her actual interactions with with people in real time, like, there's that unpredictable element of people who she can't control. That's a really good point, Kristen, because, yeah, as she's portraying people in the journal entries, that's her fictionalized version of them. It's not really them. Right. So maybe that makes sense then, because in her depiction of these environments, she's like, he did this and I read it right. That might not be the actual truth. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't really believe anything in those journal entries or take take it at face value. No. But I also think it's just kind of a boring book if she's like a complete mastermind and gets everything right all the time. If she doesn't fuck up, then like, where's the story that's why she's such an interesting character to me because she's not perfect and all-knowing no she she thinks that she is perfect and all-knowing but like we yeah we see that she's not and that's what makes it interesting because even though she thinks oh this is my plan everything's going according to plan we see it not happening that way uh and that makes for a lot of interesting tension yes interesting are we convincing you at all, Wendy? <laughs> That's I am, my mission today. I am a little convinced by what you just said. I'm like, okay. I, I When you say it like that, I, I'm a little more on board with the mistakes she makes. I just still feel like the mistakes are out of character. Like, it's not like she... Okay, I guess because the mistakes she makes seem to be lack of foresight. Hmm. And that seems really out of character. Like, all of this planning, and then she makes these mistakes because of lack of foresight or because of a lack of planning it seems off to me still even though i like that she makes mistakes i think that it's it goes back to like she thinks that she is perfect and so smart and she thinks of everything but like she doesn't she thinks that she does and so like in her mind like she thought of every single thing that could possibly go wrong and plan for it and in a lot of ways she did like you know there's the the hairs and the vomit in a jar which is just like so nasty i can't even (laughs) (laughs) maybe you should explain that because i'm not sure everyone's going to remember all the details as much as we do right that's true okay so uh part of amy's narrative through her journal entries is that like a time while she was you know sort of fearing for her life and worrying that that nick was going to hurt her she became ill in a very mysterious way and she sort of hints that it might have been antifreeze poisoning um and then like at the at the end when she comes back and nick is basically like like you crazy i'm done with you uh she sort of mentions that she might just have some vomit saved that might just back up her story about antifreeze poisoning like she poisoned herself and made herself sick so that she could use this evidence against him and the vomit that she is speaking of she saved in a jar in a brussels sprouts box in the back of her freezer it's just so gross i just admire her commitment so much it's like (laughs) wow that is commitment like can you imagine doing that like oh my god i love so how she siphoned blood from herself yes Mm -hmm. i do have to say that i'm pretty sure that chemical analysis can determine that blood has been refrigerated slash stored. Yeah. Was that like an analysis that they would think to do in this circumstance though? So, okay. Can I, (laughs) can I, I want to ask you guys about the feminist aspects of this book. Do you consider this a feminist book? Um, Uh, I think in terms of female agency, Yes, in terms of 
the way that Amy um, thinks of other women, God, no. She is, like, super unfeminist in that way. She's so critical of other women uh, in a very petty, judgmental way. Um, and she, I think, but part of what makes her interesting is that, like, she plays into some really outdated tropes of, like, pretending to be the perfect wife wife, or, you know, trapping Nick with a pregnancy. But she does it in her special Amy way that I think makes, like, sets that apart from some more outdated depictions of women. Mm-hmm. And I know Gillian has talked a lot about, as she was writing the character, she was really wanting to show, uh, like, that women are not innately moral or good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I forget. I was trying to find this interview before the podcast and I couldn't, there was an interview with her. I remember from back when the book came out where she was talking about how it always bothered her that she didn't get credit in life and like women don't get credit for behaving morally and kind of choosing not to be evil. It's true. <laughs> we're, <laughs> like we're just expected to be, I mean, you think about the things that men get credit for that are just like basic human decency and everyone's like, Oh, he's such a good guy, but women right. are, expected to act that way like it's supposed to be innate to us but it's not well, right like men who like watch their own children and get credit for babysitting like <laughs> yeah <laughs> what? so the point she was trying to make was just you know women can be just as bad as men women um are can be just as misogynistic as men yeah, yeah that right. as well yes. So I think it is feminist in that way, but you're right. Amy herself is definitely not a feminist at all. <laughs> I I know this is not on the exactly on the subject, but since you said that, I do think the book does a couple really interesting things with quote unquote nice guys. Like there is this interesting thing where Amy does the rape, the fake rape charge, remember? Mm-hmm. And Nick goes to meet the guy and the guy's like, and there is sort of like a, a feeling in that scene, like where it's like, of course this guy didn't rape her. Can't you tell that he's a nice guy? Yeah. Like, can't you tell that he would never do something like that? And I, I do feel like Flynn is is fucking with that a little bit, you know. And there's also that thing that Nick has with the female police officer, where there is always sort of an understanding where it's like, I think it's the female police officer, where it's like, she really doesn't think Nick did this, you know. At, at the bottom of it all, Nick's a nice guy. Like, he just... You know, like there's this sort of feeling where there's a sort of trust or I don't know. I I do feel like she's playing with that a little bit in a way that I find interesting. And yes, feminist in that it's unfeminist. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like by writing that very like unfeminist thing, I feel like she's almost highlighting it, challenging it, questioning it. Yeah, she's sort of uh, like mocking the existence of that uh, thing that does exist. Like have you... Have you guys listened to the uh, episode of This American Life about the, quote, good guy discount? No. No. Uh, well, you should probably listen to it before I cool. try to talk about it. But basically, like, there's this this idea that, like, um, like some guys, like, when they're out, like, shopping or, you know, paying for pay, – it's uh, it involves paying for something, like, clothes or whatever. Just be like, I'm a good guy. You, you have a discount for that? And, like – it's like a thing like mm-hmm. sometimes i know it's crazy it's like a thing you should listen to the episode uh it's, it, it explains it much more um clearly like monetizing than mediocre white man confidence. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> but like this okay. whole like oh nice guy good guy but you got to keep in mind that uh in the book all of all of that information that we get about you know nick being 
a nice guy deep down or whatever. Like, it's coming from Nick. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with, with Tommy. I think his name is Tommy, the, the guy that Amy files the mm-hmm. false charges against. Like, the description of him as you know a, a good guy that's from nick i think tommy himself even like he's like i'm not some alpha male type i look like a nerd like that's right so what like yeah but that's buddy. what i think she's playing with you know oh, this yeah. idea that like alpha males rape people alpha males are predators but nice guys you know you could tell this guy would never do such a thing he's a right. nice guy you know that that mm-hmm. nice guy thing and i have to say like i i personally really enjoyed slash was pissed off and slash enjoyed that part of the book because I am married to that type of nice guy that all that everybody's just like, oh, such a nice guy, such a nice guy. And I do feel like he gets like a nice guy pass in the world for being like that type of guy who seems nice. Do you know Mm. what I'm saying? And I feel everywhere we go, everyone I introduce him to, he's just like such a nice guy. It's something I've heard about him 400,000 times. And Mm. I don't I don't understand people's obsession with niceness in men. It's a really interesting thing. Well, it's it's not just men though. It's niceness in in everyone. It's like that is kind of a characteristic that obviously women are expected to be nicer, like expected to be nice rather than oh niceness is special, but like uh there's even this great line in here. Um let me actually let me find this section you guys talk amongst yourselves while i find this section. but do you think that women i don't think it's the same thing as a woman to be nice like i think there's a special way we treat men who have the mm-hmm. appearance of niceness well, and me, it's almost such a trust we put in them let me just yeah. read this um this is from one of the first amy uh real amy not diary amy entries she says i hope you liked diary amy she was meant to be likable Meant for someone like you to like her. She's easy to like. I've never understood why that's considered a compliment, that just anyone could like you. And I think that is so interesting. <laughs> I love that line. Oh, it's my God. so yeah. good. It's so uh, good. Well, she she really does do that thing in, I think, the journal entries a lot where it's like, she's the cool girl. Mm-hmm. The girl who doesn't mind having a beer. The girl who is interested in football. Like, she does do a caricature of what in her mind, a cool girl friend is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of a flamethrower moment that I absolutely loved. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right, Wendy, about like, it's women are expected to be nice and we are punished if we're not. And men um, are not expected to be nice. And then if they are, it's like we give them a fucking medal for it. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's yeah. like if we're being scrutinized for any... Um, any sign of not niceness or any hint of unlikability. And the second we display anything like that, for example, I'm not trying to be political, but the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm. moment recently where a video was released of her dancing. I, I believe it was her freshman year of college. People keep saying high school, but I believe it's college. Yeah. Uh, and she's dancing in sort of a, I don't know, she's dancing. She's shaking it. It's like, she's not, she's not nude or anything, but she's just dancing, you know? Um, that video is adorable. I just need it to is. like her more. But yeah. it's like just a hint of sexuality, just a hint of inappropriateness, just a hint that maybe she's not as goody goody as she seems. Like just a hint that she could have some sort of sexual aspect to her. And it's like, dun dun dun, you know? Like, I don't even, yeah, I don't even know if that's so much what the reaction is about to that video. It's more just that she's like having fun and being free and kind of 
not caring what anyone thinks of her and kind of dancing around like a dork and she's supposed to be a serious congresswoman but then if you're a serious congresswoman you're like a cast iron bitch and everyone hates you i don't know i think it's the madonna whore thing i think it's that you know Mm. she can't she can't dance that's whorish you know like you have to be if you're going to be taken seriously you need to be what because if you're like elizabeth warren then you're cold and you're a bitch but if you're like that then you're a whore like there's nothing in between yeah it's a trap it's It's just a trap it's totally a trap it's a trap Um, but did you guys see the video that she released of her doing the dance in the the hallway of congress like fuck yes so good (laughs) see this is totally gonna turn into a political podcast (laughs) (laughs) i know what we said but there's just so much to talk about but um okay back to I don't know. I just always I felt this really deep connection to her in a way that um, scares me a little <laughs> bit and definitely scares my partner a little mm. bit. <laughs> I just remember I was out at dinner with some friends and with him a few months after the book came out and we were talking about it and I said yeah I feel like I'm a lot like Amy and my friend was like oh my god no you're not what are you talking about and my partner goes oh yeah she is <laughs> like he knows um, I just I feel like I have that calculating ruthlessness inside me and I have never done anything like she would and I don't think that I would or could do that but I don't know what I could be driven to I don't know you guys it's true life is uncertain (laughs) that is for sure (laughs) I just keep telling my partner I'm like just don't move me to your shitty hometown and cheat on me with a college student and you're good (laughs) well I think that like it is natural for readers maybe not you lane but other readers to feel <laughs> us that that uh amy is somewhat remote because like she doesn't really even know herself uh she grew up in the shadow of you know seven or five miscarriages and two stillborn children and she's the the shadow of amazing amy and people don't seem like real people to her because she herself mm-hmm. doesn't feel real and so I think that like it, that she's was done really well she, you're right about that yeah so it's uh like I think it makes sense that you might not relate to her in the same way that you can relate to Nick who while extremely flawed uh is not a sociopath I don't think God, um, I hate Nick so he's, much. He's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I got to the part where we find out about his affair. I almost threw the book across the room. I was so angry. I was just like, really? Buddy. Yeah. I see, I don't really care about affairs that much. It doesn't bother me in a book or movie when a character has an affair. I'm like, eh. You know, I think it's because I related to her so strongly. Uh, to get yeah. really personally. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just like, yeah, of course this guy's sleeping with a student. That seems right. This guy's Oof. got like, this guy's got like, it's not my fault written all over his forehead. Like nothing yeah. this guy does is his own fault. Of course he's sleeping with a college student. It's just, you know, that's just what this guy would do. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I, I mean, it does make sense for sure. I think it's interesting. We keep bringing up these kind of inconsistencies with these characters. And I think a lot of that is due to the way that Gillian is playing with the different points of view throughout the book. That's right. Because you really have three, right? Like you have yeah. Diary Amy, Real Amy, and Nick. And no one's telling the truth all the time mm-hmm. um diary amy is like barely telling the truth at all yeah and so there's a lot of things that maybe they are inconsistencies but maybe they're just part of that and it's kind of up to us to look at it and figure out what we think the truth is which is why it's such an interesting book and so inspirational to me as a writer yes what do you think about 
Amy's actions in that her, what do you think about Amy's very unfeminist actions what I mean by that is like the fact that she fakes rape the fact that she traps him with the pregnancy the fact that she criticizes other women in this very unfeminist way what are your thoughts on that I mean it's bad but I think she's a sociopath and she's using whatever tools are at her disposal and in the fucked up patriarchal culture that we live in those are some of the most powerful tools at her disposal that's what I think yeah I agree with that and like I think that it's not like we are rooting for Amy exactly it's more like we're enjoying the journey of watching how fucked up she is speak for yourself Krista Uh Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, But like she does act in a lot of unfeminist ways. But I feel that she is like she is always herself. Whatever that exactly may be. (laughs) It's like um, when she is being so incredibly cruel about other women. Like when I read that, like I would hate to be friends with her. But. I can see why she thinks these things because like yeah this is how she sees the world and I think that that some of that is like the some of the most consistent parts of her character mm-hmm. what do you think about the fact that she has all this power you know all this power in her character all this agency and ultimately her goal is to get Nick back I mean that's what she wants she wants Nick back she wants him to love her again after all that well that's really what she ends up wanting right what she wants is to win yes so like she wants to basically like amy wants to get whatever she wants it doesn't necessarily matter what it is but she wants to win she wants to be the best the happiest or appear to be the happiest so i don't see it as like oh i love nick so much i truly want him back she wants to win she wants to have dominated a situation that thoroughly Mm-hmm. Like, does she back. want to own him and have him like she does not want him to be off and free she wants him to be hers and miserable yes yeah she wants him to suffer and that's the best way she can make him suffer yes and i don't think i don't know i, I don't think it's gonna go on for, it's not like they're gonna be married for 50 years and <laughs> <laughs> buried next to each other or whatever i mean i think she's gonna get frustrated with him again and hatch some new scheme yes so I don't know. I When I was reading the end, I did read it that she was like, see, this is all I ever wanted for you to be with me, for you to love me, for you. You know what I mean? Like in that way she behaves with him toward the end. I read that as like that she was happy to finally have what she wanted, which was him in love with her. Does she say that in her internal monologue or does she say that to him? I don't remember. I don't think look. I think that's something that she says to him. I don't think mm-hmm. that's what she... To be fair, yeah, I think that might be from his point of view, right? Because that's that right. like last chapter. So she's saying that to fuck with him. She just wants to win. I think you hit it on the head, Kristen. She just wants to win, which again, relatable. <laughs> so it's like, it's like possession. It's not... Obviously, she can't experience love because she's, you know, has personality disorder. But it's it's a collection of him. It's an ownership thing. It's not a... I wanted you and you didn't want me, but now I finally have your love, your desire for me. Right. I mean, she is upset that he didn't want her and was cheating on her, but only because of the kind of power and control aspect of it, not because she was so hurt by him, you know, his infidelity and lack of desire for her. She just wants to control him. Mm -hmm. 
let let me read a bit from Amy's last entry or Amy's last section in the book, or maybe it's the last section of the book. Uh, she says, I was told love should be unconditional. That's the rule. Everybody says so. But if love has no boundaries, no limits, no conditions, why should anyone try to do the right thing ever? If I know I am loved no matter what, where's the challenge? I'm supposed to love Nick despite all his shortcomings, and Nick is supposed to love me despite my quirks, but clearly neither of us does. It makes me think that everyone is very wrong, that love should have many conditions. Love should require both partners to be their very best at all times. Unconditional love is an undisciplined love, and as we have all seen, undisciplined love is disastrous. And then later in the page, she goes on to say, he's learning to love me unconditionally under all of my conditions. I just love... God, I love her so much. I, I love how she <laughs> describes unconditional love to be under all of her conditions. That, that I remember this part, and I was like, this is pretty wonderful. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was pretty much in love with this, with this part you're reading. Yeah, so I think that that, like, none it's of this control. is, it's control. It's not about love. It's not about Nick. It's about no. control. It could be anyone. It could be anybody, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we are getting towards the end here. So do we want to talk a little bit before we close out about Gillian Flynn herself and her persona? Because I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah, so I forget... I, I've met her briefly at an event. I think you guys might have too, yeah. Kristen, at least you have. Yeah. She's this very, like, sweet, nice-looking, like, Midwestern <laughs> lady. Like, she's not – she writes these dark, twisted, messed-up characters, but she seems very nice and well-adjusted. And I've always wondered I – mean, every every interview with her that I see, they remark on this, like, every time they bring it up. And I've always wondered if she would have the same level of success that she does if she was more like her characters. Right. I. It's a very interesting question. As an example, I tweeted this thing where I said, I am 100% always on team Joe Goldberg. I tweeted that recently. And the resp- I got like DMs, I got comments. People are like, "What is wrong with you? If you if you had a psychopath stalker who murdered you, you would deserve it." Stuff like that. What? Why and do I'm people like, always come for you, Wendy? I never get any of this. Here's my thing. Have you have you read my have you seen the type of books I write? Are you freaking <laughs> surprised? Look at me. I write books about murderers. Of course I like Joe Gold- Joe Goldberg. Like the hell do you think? Like I'm not that nice lady who you know doesn't want to read a book about a stalker i am that bad lady who wants to read about the stalker that's way in but we have to be nice do you know what i mean like we even though we write these books people expect us to be nice Mm -hmm. even on this podcast we have to be nice like we it's not like we can just go blazing and like start giving bitch rants about everything we still have to be nice yeah, I always think people who listen to this podcast, um, if they could read our DMs, Wendy. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. We're not podcasting our DMs, are we? We're podcasting no. a nice version, a composed version of our thoughts. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, as an author, I'm pretty new at this. My book doesn't come out until later this year, so I don't really know how it's going to be for me. But I definitely feel uh, that pressure to, to be nice and well-behaved and everything, even though my characters are terrible people. Uh, and I don't know how much of it is, like, the patriarchy or the publishing industry and how much of it is that I am, like, Gillian Flynn, deeply Midwestern. Right. Well, I think that as far as, like, the author persona, like, there probably is pressure to be nice, but, like, mostly, like, when I'm 
either, you know, posting online or dealing with people at events in person, like, it's deeply important to me not to be an asshole. And that has nothing to do with the patriarchy. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be yeah. an asshole to people. Same. Um, yeah, same. So, I'm not talking about, like, treating people nicely. I'm more talking about, like, filtering our words, make trying not to offend, those types of things. You know? Sure, yeah, not just being, like, professionally courteous, but... Well, right, right. Yeah. Um, as far as, like, I haven't experienced any backlash about filtering my words at all or anything so maybe uh maybe the midwest is just a different place wendy why do you live out there (laughs) (laughs) i do find every time i tweet something where i'm like oh no maybe i've gone too far this time my editor somehow she's like a spidey sense about it she'll like be online within 30 seconds and be the first person to like it (laughs) this has happened so many times where i'm just like oh maybe i should delete that and then kate likes it and i'm like well i guess it's fine (laughs) (laughs) i think if I can unpack it, it's that I feel sometimes nervous about being completely direct. I feel mm. a need to dance around things that might sound harsh. I feel mm. a need to, do you know, does that make sense? Like, I, yeah. I feel like rather than just saying the thing, I'll really sit and think, like, can I word this in a nicer way? Can I work this to be a little bit more empathetic? Like that that pressure that women have to, to say things right, because every... Yeah nuance of what you say is going to be held against you later rather than just being able to say the thing the blatant blunt truth yeah that one's definitely the patriarchy yeah like you know you like just a very like quick example like if what you want is for people to add your book on goodreads like a a man is just going to be like hey add my book but like you know women are going to sort of find a way to say it like in a nice way that doesn't seem like it's a demand or a you know something that we are expecting it's like oh just sort of like tiptoe around it and suggest it rather than state it directly um which is gross <laughs> but yeah but but at the same time like sometimes you'll see guys who tweet stuff like that and it's just like it makes me roll my eyes i don't even want to act like that like that's just gross and annoying is it, it's, I don't know that it's that I think I should be able to act more like them or if I think they should have more pressure to act like me. I think there's a happy medium somewhere yeah. that we could find. Yeah, I agree. So we don't need to all be dicks all the time, but uh, most women could benefit from being much more direct and asking for what we want. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think even though Gillian Flynn has this public persona that she's nice compared to her characters but she's also she's very direct especially in her interviews when she talks about like feminist topics and everything she mm-hmm. just says what she means and um it's very admirable yeah it really is when when uh, i think it was when we were at mayhem and murder in chicago last year is that where she was lane that we met her? yeah the sisters in crime luncheon yeah um, I met her at a previous uh, event she did like a few years prior, but yeah, I was there as well. Um, she she said something that I still think about, which is like there are two different types of people. Like if you see a rock, some people are gonna want to look underneath it to see what's under there, and some yeah. people just won't. Like you don't you don't want to look under the rock, uh, and she's the type of person who wants to look under the rock, and like. I really relate to that because it's just like a kind of like obsessive curiosity and like a need to like view darkness even if you don't like what you see like you still want to know what's under there and I think that's really like a very 
uh, a, a very writerly thing. I think it would be very hard to be a writer if you didn't want to look under the rock. Certainly a crime thriller writer. Yes. I think it would be impossible. Yes. <laughs> I really admire the hell out of her. Yeah. I just yes. think she's, man, if, if I could be anyone when I grow up. Same. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. She's my role model for sure. <laughs> I admire that she doesn't have a book coming out every year. You know, she's measured. She takes her time. She says everything she needs to say in a book. You know, like she really just does everything deeply and carefully. And then the next thing she does is even better. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Well, on that note, I think we can wrap it up. Um, I'll say add all our books on Goodreads, everyone. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we also have a fun announcement, which is one of our listeners, Laura Roberts, uh, started a book club based on our recommendations, which is super cool. Thank you, Laura. Yes, I, and... lo- I just love this so much. Like, how cool. So we linked to it on our Twitter page a few days ago, but I will uh, put it in the show notes as well. There's a Facebook group and a Goodreads group. And this month they are reading Social Creature by Tara Isabella Burton. And then next month, yes, I'm so excited for more people to read that book. I feel like everyone I meet, I just like yell at them about it. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, next month in February, they're going to read Last Woman Standing by Amy Gentry. So should be a good time. Good stuff. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening. <laughs>